Welcome back to the Bulwark Coast of Hollywood. Uh, my name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at the Bulwark. I'm very pleased to be rejoined by uh, Frank Pelota of CNN. Uh, as you guys know, if you're listeners of the show, he's been on a bunch of times. We're going to talk about some business of Hollywood stuff here. Uh, media reporter at CNN, previously an entertainment reporter at Business Insider, uh, as well as a writer for CNN Entertainment's marquee blog. Thanks for being back on the show, Frank. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me back. All right, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk Russia and Ukraine. That's what everybody wants to talk about um, in the world of entertainment. Uh, you know, obviously not the most important thing going on right now uh, in terms of Russia and Ukraine, but there are some some moves here that have happened. Studios, uh, the, all of the major studios now: Universal, Warner Brothers, Sony, Paramount, uh, Disney. They've said we're not going to release any movies in Russia for the time being. We're putting a pause on uh, all of our new releases. What was the impetus for that? And what is the what is the hope that the uh, pressure here will have on, on the, the Russian uh, population and, and leadership? Well, I think it's mostly a symbolic move because if you really think about Russia, Russia represents about 3% of the overall global box office. It's not a huge gainer, obviously. The land mass of Russia is huge, but its box office totals aren't necessarily that big. But for movie, but for movie studios like Disney and Universal and Warner Brothers, which pulled uh, the biggest movie of the year, the Batman, from there, it's more about saying that you know this is our way of conveying that we, we are not supportive of what is happening with Russia and Ukraine right now. So we're going to do what we can, as much as we can, to kind of show that support in a symbolic view. There's also been a lot of reporting that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the the SWIFT and the banking and all that, that the studios, if they did release their, you know, movies in the country and Russia was taken off of the SWIFT uh, banking unit, that they might not be able to get their money from the movies. So there is on top, so as studios normally do, on the surface level, which most people will see, it's a symbolic view. Beneath that, it's a financial decision as well, because if they're going to release movies in a country, they want to get that money back from the country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it is uh, I, I don't think we should undersell the financial hardship studios are going to uh, undergo here. Russia is, I think, the I. it depends on when you what year you want to look at, but somewhere between the ninth and the 10th biggest yeah. um, film market in the world. Uh, and and the pulling pulling the releases won't. I mean, look, let's be honest here. If you pull the releases, people are still going to be able to see it in Russia if they mm -hmm. want to mm -hmm. via piracy, right? Via, via whatever. Um, so I do think there is, I, I do think there is some financial burden here, but the thing that people keep throwing back at me is, well, why aren't they doing this in China then? Well, why, why, why aren't, you know, if it's such a, if it's such an important move, why not in China? Yeah. I mean, that is the big, big question here. Cause I, and I also don't want to discredit the financial hit too. Cause look at something like Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man No Way Home in Russia made about $50 million. That's not nothing, you know, that's not, that's not like pennies, you know? So it does matter on a financial point, but I do think that it's really more about the symbolic view of it. Uh, but you say something like China, that's a really interesting question because let's say that China did a similar move like this with say like Taiwan and the Taiwan Strait. Would, you know, movie studios, be as quick to kind of pull their movie uh, from China. It's harder to say. I, I'm not more into the kind of like 
hypotheticals because who knows what could happen every time I ever think of a hypothetical with the movie business or the news. I'm constantly proving that something even crazier happened. Uh, But you got to remember, China is the biggest movie market in the world right now. It's even bigger than the United States. So that would be a huge, huge kind of like game-changing thing for studios because as we have said on on this show before you know china the the biggest the biggest threat to the blockbuster ecosystem that we are currently in is not streaming in my opinion it is a country like china basically saying we don't need your movies anymore and they've been kind of doing that already yeah you know it's been hard for a lot of these movies that five six years ago would easily get into China. Now China has kind of done what Netflix kind of did in a way, which is use American product uh, or use traditional product to kind of build themselves up. And now they're kind of like, hey, yeah, we don't need you anymore. We're making our own movies and they're pretty successful on their own. So, you know, that that's the big question that I'm kind of seeing from an entertainment business point of view is what would happen if this ever happened in China? But, you know, it's such a hypothetical that it's really hard to kind of figure out what would happen and how studios would respond. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Netflix, uh, Netflix uh, has been has been uh, kind of going at it with Russia over the uh, there was a law passed in Russia that said you have to include some 20 Russian uh, channels if you're a streaming service above 100,000 subscribers. Uh, Netflix said no. Right. Netflix said we're not we're not doing that. Do you have any idea what's going on? Uh, in in Russia with Netflix. So with Netflix, it, you gotta like the other thing too is that this is not just a story about Disney or Netflix or Russia or anything. It is how Hollywood is beyond the thirty mile zone of LA now. It is it is beyond the borders of the United States now. It is a global global thing. Everything is global. Everything is connected. Just like pretty much all of businesses right now. And what's interesting is you look at something like Netflix. Netflix is. Domestic growth has kind of stagnated. It, it doesn't look like, you know, the UCAN subscribers they have in the United States and Canada haven't been really growing the way that, you know, they were. So they have to look elsewhere to kind of grow their business. And is that in Russia? Not so much as much as like, say, this, you know, South Pacific or India or other places like that. But for Netflix, they have to ask these, they have to kind of con- like, they have to ask themselves these questions. What happens when something like this happens? What do we do? So, you know, as you said, a law was passed that said, if you are going to, uh, you know, have more than say 100,000 subscribers in Russia, you also have to show some of these channels, which according to multiple reports, also shows propaganda, their state TV, pro-Putin propaganda. So Netflix obviously is like, no thanks, we don't want to do that. But also it should be noted that this law hasn't been implemented yet. It it was supposed to be implemented this week. Um, There's a lot up in the air about this law. So for Netflix, it's easy to say, hey, we're not gonna follow this law that doesn't even really exist. Mm -hmm. It'll be more interesting to see what happens if this law becomes a thing and if Russia really pushes them on it. But you know, their their Netflix has been really focused on building their brand everywhere. They were building productions in Russia. I think there was something called Anna K mm-hmm. that was a Russian production. Uh, and they have kind of, you know, now that's kind of up in the air too. I think everything after this invasion has really put a lot of the global understanding of entertainment and its business kind of up in the air and has presented questions like the ones we're asking right now. 
Well, Variety, I, I saw a story on Variety, uh, I think yesterday, that uh, that said Russia's putting a pause on acquisitions and productions in Russia, which is interesting and kind of gets at, gets at the, the, the point that this is this is not just a Netflix question. It's also, and it's not just an artistic question, artistic freedom question. It really is about the economy of these local uh, these local markets because Netflix does go in and pump a ton of money into making stuff there, hiring people, you know, hiring crew, actors, etc. Um, so it is it it is a not again it's a not small financial uh, ding uh, to to make a move like that. Yeah, I mean, in this connected global economy we have, there is no such thing as a small ding if you're basically just pulling your content from a major country like Russia. Like there is going to be financial. Uh, there's going to be a financial hit. Whether that is as big of a financial hit as some other countries, that's what's being asked here. I don't think it's as big as, say, some other countries, especially as we were talking about China. Yeah. But it does matter. Everything kind of matters. And these studios should be lauded in a certain way to kind of, you know, for being able to say, no, we're not going to do this. Like, we're against what we're seeing here and we're going to put... Uh, you know, the symbolic nature of this in front of the financial nature of this. And there should be something said about that. I mean, it is no small thing for Warner Brothers to pull the Batman from Russia. You know, this is a huge global movie. And Warner Brothers, which is, we've always said in the disclaimer, is a unit of, you know, Warner Media, just like CNN. Um, It's a big deal for them. They want to make as much money as they can with the Batman. They want to... You know, especially the theater industry wants to also use this movie to revitalize itself after a really up and down year where they haven't been able to get their footing in as the pandemic has lingered on. So this is not a small thing in any way, but is it the biggest thing in the world? That's a different question. Yeah, yeah. One, I want, I want to get to the the release and the state of theatrical here in a second. One last Russia Ukraine uh, question: um, Have you have you followed any of the the moves by the festivals to uh, say no, no Russian filmmakers, no Russian films, no Russian delegations? Um, uh, the- yes, I have. I, I've seen some of that, and I think it, it it speaks to what is going on on the bigger level where we're seeing people pull the content. But I think there also should be something said about like. Uh, diminishing returns you know like if you're going to basically we also have to understand that you know putin do you think do you think putin's really sitting there going oh man they pulled the batman that'll i i I guess i've learned my lesson like this is a this is someone who is not very like do you think that you know he's upset that western pop culture is not coming into his country so we have to also ask ourselves to a certain extent, you know, there are likely, and I, I don't know this as well, and I, I shouldn't speak as much to it as I as I, I want to, but there's likely many Russian independent filmmakers who are not probably pro-Putin, who are not in favor of this war, yep. who are now not going to be able to show their movies, um, you know, in in at these major festivals, and and there is something to be said about that. Uh, you know, but I think there is some, there is a certain level of diminishing returns. I, I saw yesterday EA is pulling like Russia from the FIFA video game. Yeah. At a certain point, we have to kind of go, okay, that's nice. Thank you for putting out this symbolic gesture. But at the same time, like, what are we really doing here? Is this really hurting? And like, is this really hurting the people that you're aiming to hurt? Yeah. I mean, this is, it's an interesting question. I have a piece going up in the Washington Post it may already be up actually as, as we're talking now. Uh, but the, uh, 
uh, one of the one of the Russian filmmakers who was disinvited to the Glasgow Film Festival is a guy named uh, Lado. I'm gonna botch this. Kavanti. Cavantinia, I don't know. Uh, but he made a film called The Execution. And six or seven days ago when the invasion happened, uh, he uh, put out a message on Instagram, said, "We, it, this is in Russian, of course, we are a fraternal nation. I'm against the war. I did not choose this president. I did not choose this war. Love, love, love. Now, this is a guy who... Uh, has spoken out against Putin in the past. He is a he is a filmmaker who you know has accepted money from the Russian Ministry of Culture or whatever. But all essentially all independent filmmakers in every country accept money from all of their governments. Iranian film festival, you know, Iranian film councils, Chinese film councils, etc. I, I I just don't see where I don't really see where you can draw a line when it comes to the independent. Filmmakers and say, ah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna invite the Russians, but you know, Oscar Fahardi can come to the Glasgow Film Festival if he wants to. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think, like again, I think what's really interesting right now is to focus more on the questions than the answers. This is a, this is an invasion and a war that literally started what a week and a half ago. It, it's still in its infancy. We don't know how long it's going to go. We don't know what the you know the toll both on the human level and the financial level for multiple countries around the world is going to be so you know these are these are the kind of questions that we need to be asking is that you know from the from the small and i would say pretty insignificant portion of this story the entertainment world it these are the questions that we kind of need to ask and and that is going to be very interesting as we move forward in the months and who knows how long to come yeah. Uh, all right. So let's move to theatrical. Uh, obviously, Warner Brothers putting the Batman in theaters. It's a. Uh, it's their. It's I think their first uh, theatrical release since the end of the HBO Max deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is obviously a big thing for them, right? Oh yeah, this is a huge thing. I, I wrote a story yesterday for CNN Business that basically said, you know, that this is not just a huge thing for theaters, but this is. Uh, a return to form for Warner Brothers. You know, Warner Brothers did the HBO Max experiment um, last year by releasing all of their films in theaters and HBO Max. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, that was either a huge success or it didn't work out the way they wanted. Personally, I see it as, as, as an experiment, as a successful experiment to see how it worked out. If you look at HBO Max's numbers, they have surged over the year. Uh, I think they were about around 75 million in the last yeah. earnings report, which is nothing to bulk at. I think that's important. But then you could also look at the numbers of their movies, like in the Heights, Matrix Resurrections, that, and you could argue that, well, those movies may have made more money if they were purely in theaters. But I look at, as soon as that was announced back in December of 2020, I said to my, I said, and I said this on Twitter, I said, I said, I see this as a studio going, we don't know what the climate's going to look like in terms of the business and the coronavirus pandemic over the next year. We're going to use this to propel our streaming service, which we think is very important, and see where we're at. It obviously ruffled a lot of feathers of creative talent. Now Christopher Nolan's over at Universal making a movie. You know, that, that was, you know, the director of Dune didn't like it. There was a bunch of issues that came with that. But now we fast forward to this weekend and we have the Batman. And the Batman, in my opinion, is the most anticipated movie of the year. And that's saying something considering that there's supposed to be an Avatar movie come out this year. Um, Well, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, But I look at something like the Batman and I say to myself that, you know, this is huge for theaters. And I, I, you know, because 
This is the chance to return to normalcy. You know, we have had multiple movies over the last year from A Quiet Place in May to Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in September to obviously the biggest, one of the biggest blockbusters of all time, Spider-Man No Way Home in December, that have helped keep theaters afloat. But there's been too many starts and stops. There hasn't, they haven't been able to reestablish their footing because every time one of these movies would do incredibly well, there'd be, a, there'd be the Delta variant, there'd be the Omicron variant, which would scare people from going to theaters. We're seeing it now that cases have really dropped in the country and in major cities like New York and LA that are incredibly important to uh, the theater industry. And now you have a character who I could argue outside of maybe Spider-Man is the most successful box office superhero there is. You know, Batman has been in a prolific amount of movies across multiple genres. Everything from Academy Award winning movies like The Dark Knight to animated movies like Mask of Phantasm to animated movies starring Legos in Lego Batman to one of the worst movies of all time in Batman and Robin. Like he has had the full length of this. He's been played, he's basically the new version of Hamlet. Everyone has kind of played him. And this weekend you have what is, from all indications, uh, of critically acclaimed new take on the hero, which is more kind of like a procedural. He's more of a detective. You have Robert yeah. Pattinson coming in, and it's two hours and 55 minutes long. Like, I mean, bring back intermission, my God. Um, <laughs> but you look at this and you say to this, you say to yourself that, you know, Warner Brothers. If they really believed that the theater industry was done, that it was extinct and all, you know, steam ahead to streaming revolution, we'd all be watching right now, probably the Batman on HBO Max. They don't. I don't believe they believe that. I believe that they believe that streaming and theaters can not only coexist, but can cohabitate to a point of profitability. And I kind of see this as the beginning of that. And I see this as the beginning of that, not just for Warner Brothers, for, but for many studios across the board. Uh, what is what's the window here uh, on the theatrical exclusivity? It's about forty days, which is down considerably from the seventy-five days that used to be the traditional window. And I think forty days is going to be the new window for pretty much everybody. If you look at Paramount, like they made a big hubbub about like how their movies are going to go to Paramount Plus after forty days. Universal's movies are anywhere between like twenty to forty days. But for their blockbusters, I think it's, you know, fair to say they're going to go a bit longer. Uh, so, yeah, it's about 40 days. Yeah. Um, I, I, there, there's a lot of a lot of people are very upset because AMC, uh, the movie, the movie company, AMC, movie theater company, AMC said, we're going to do we're going to start experimenting with variable pricing on uh, on the Batman. And now uh, to explain this to folks, uh, variable pricing is essentially charging more for some movies uh, than other movies. Uh, in a way, we already have variable pricing, right? We have matinees versus evening showings. We have IMAX and Dolby versus standard showings, right? But people are saying, well, I, I, how dare you charge me a dollar more to see the Batman than you would to see Dog? That is un, unfair and, and et cetera. I don't, I, look, I'm gonna, I, I am a, as a, as a like libertarian leaning type, this just seems like good business sense. I agree completely. I, I think, I think that what we've seen over the last year is one consistent theme, which is, hey, a studio or an entertainment company is going to experiment with something. Everyone freaks out and says that this is going to be the way things are going to be forever and it's only going to be negative. When in reality, like 
I would actually make the argument that variable pricing is what I kind of want the theaters to do. Because if, if you ask most people, what is the thing that keeps you from going to the movies? What is the thing that keeps you staying home? It's ticket pricing. Tickets are really expensive. And, you know, if you're going to make a movie like Batman, which costs $200 million, and a movie like Dog, which doesn't cost $200 million, um, well, I mean, I don't know that, but I think it'd be hilarious if that movie cost $200 million. $170 million right into Channing Tatum's pocket. Exactly. That's... The dog the dog got $130 million of that. I think it actually is beneficial to the movie business because... I want more diversity at the movies. I don't want everything. And listen, I love superhero movies. I love comic book movies. I love franchises. I grew up on that stuff. I was a Spielberg kid. But I want diversity at the movie theater. I want my friends who aren't superhero superhero fans to go to the movies again. I think one way to kind of do that is by lowering these prices for movies that aren't necessarily huge events and raising prices for movies that are. Like I would pay an extra five to ten dollars to go see the Batman because it comes because it's it's a bigger attraction than say a movie like Dog. You know, Dog is and Dog and let's say I, I don't want to knock Dog here. Dog right, has yeah. made good money. This like, is not, do, like, I'm not I am not casting any aspersions I gotta on say, Dog. I, I've been kind of impressed by how much Dog yeah. has brought in. But the one thing I always tell people when it comes to the movie industry is I always go, I go, what, what is the most, what is the busiest day at the movies? And most people go, oh, it's Friday, it's Saturday. Tuesday's up there. Why? Because that's discount ticket night. Like there is nothing wrong with variable pricing. I think it's actually smart. I think it's a way for theaters to kind of go, listen, this is a movie that is big and important and it's an event and it's going to be packed. But that doesn't mean that you should have to pay the same amount of money to go see an awesome, great movie that doesn't feel like an event that's maybe more of a human drama. And if those move, if those human dramas start making $100, $200 million, guess what, guys? We're going to get more human dramas. Hollywood is just going to follow in its own footsteps. That's what Hollywood has done since they put celluloid on a screen. So that's what's interesting to me. I think it's actually a great thing. And let's be honest. Are you really that upset that you're going to pay $26 compared to $25 to go see Batman and IMAX. No, yeah. you're not. Like, But, but if, if but those, those are, things those add are up. New York price. That's New York City know, prices right know, there, ladies I and know. gentlemen. $25, $26. Uh, I, I, so I will say my, my one big, my one big uh, criticism of AMC in this is that they have totally botched the PR rollout of this because it is they, – they essentially have said, uh, we're going ch- to charge people more for the Batman – Instead of saying something like, uh, we're, yes, we're going to charge more for the Batman, but we're also going to charge less for if you want to go see West Side Story this weekend, which has been out for you know several months, it'll be a dollar less. Like, this is the problem. This is the problem with their plan. And I'm, I'm getting up on my soapbox right now because I'm very I'm, I'm slightly annoyed by this. If you're going to do variable pricing and I think you should do variable pricing, you have to offer people something cheaper in addition to offering them something more expensive. You can't just say you're going to pay more for the things you want and you're going to pay the same for the things that you're already not going to see. Yeah, I think the other big theme about that I was saying is that experimenting and people getting angry is the other big theme is studios and companies experimenting and not doing a very good job of how they're experimenting. I always said the thing with the HBO Max rollout could have seemed like even a more brilliant move if the PR was a little bit better about it, it seemed like all they had to say was like, listen, we're going to try this for a year because it's a pandemic and we're going to see what happens. And I think a lot of the filmmakers would have been like, OK, but as long as I'm still getting paid, fine. I mean, look, look at things like uh, Peacock is Peacock put Halloween Kills 
which was a huge hit early last uh, late last year. Um, did you hear Jason Blum or anybody go crazy about that? No, they're now going to put another Jason Blum fire starter on Peacock. Like yeah. it, it's about just making sure that your creatives are well compensated. And in AMC's point, uh, consumers are well understood about where their money is going. At the end of the day, the economy is all over the place. It's been since the pandemic's happening. If people are going to spend disposable income, give them a proper reason and understanding of how to spend it. Yeah, yeah. I, everybody needs some some PR lessons here. Uh, uh, Disney, Disney uh, is considering it is the biggest uh, box office monster between you know Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar and everybody else. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that they are skipping theatrical domestically for turning red and going straight to Disney Plus. What's the deal with that? Um, I think. So what's interesting about that is everyone's talking about, oh, my God, Turning Red is going straight to Disney Plus. Is Pixar just going to be a Disney Plus brand? Pixar was the brand before Marvel, before Lucasfilm. In fact, Bob Iger said of all the brands he bought, he was most proud of buying Pixar. A lot of people could say that bringing in Pixar is what revitalized Disney animation, which, if you don't know, is what has built Disney since 1923. The Seven Dwarfs literally hold up their corporate headquarters in, in Burbank. What I think is interesting is everyone's talking about turning red, going to Pixar. I'm, and now, I'm sorry, going to Disney Plus directly. But we're not talking about how Lightyear is still in theaters. Lightyear is the new Buzz Lightyear movie with Chris Evans uh, voice acting. That's still set for theaters exclusively in June. Whether that changes, it might between now and the next time we chat. But what I find interesting is that right now we are still in a pandemic. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like the pandemic has kind of come to a close or it's winding down, but it's a much different life if you're a parent. Mm. If you're a parent and you have kids, it's still very scary. Like a lot of kids have not been vaccinated yet. Uh, they, you know, the vaccine, there's a lot of, you know, there's been, there's a lot of fear there. And Turning Red is a movie that is directed towards children. And they have just seen huge, huge attention for movies like Luca and Soul and the other Pixar movies they've moved to Disney Plus that has yeah. really worked well in boosting their numbers. So it's a kind of a two-prong approach. Do I think that Pixar is going to be a forever Disney Plus brand? No, we have another Pixar movie opening later this year. Turning Red from everyone I've talked to and the reviews I've seen have is, is really good and will probably bring people to Disney Plus. But I am curious to see that once we get to the summer and more children are vaccinated, and, uh, you know, maybe the pandemic is even hopefully fingers crossed at a point where it's even lower and parents feel more safe to bring their kids to the theaters. I think we'll see Pixar back on the big screen in a more exclusive fashion as we move hopefully out of this global health crisis. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch the box office on Sing 2, um, which has kind of which for, for like two months was the number three movie in the country no matter what else was out, it was just like it was like Spider-Man, uh, Scream, Sing 2 or, you know, Jackass, Spider-Man, Sing 2. Uh, I, I, I do think parents are looking to get out there and, and find stuff to do with their kids. I think so. I think that's I think that's completely spot on. And I think it's vitally important for the health of the industry at large to have family movies like the, the movie industry is nothing without family movies. It's nothing. But we're going to see this in an uptick this year. You're going to have Sonic the Hedgehog 2 
the first Sonic the Hedgehog did pretty surprisingly well. You're going to have minions, and I don't know if you know this about minions, but the minions are just rolling in dough. You're going to have that. And that that movie was supposed to, I believe, come out two years ago. And it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed because Universal knows what it has there. Um, So it's interesting to see uh, where we're going to be at in terms of family films. But I I don't think – I think Disney, who is a steward of the theatrical experience and has been for nearly 100 years, knows that family films are vitally important to the business and the the global health of this business, I don't see them saying we're going to take our biggest family brand and put them away because that doesn't make any sense. And if you look at something like Encanto, Encanto definitely got a big boost from being, you know, from streaming 30 days later. But let's not count out that Encanto also made, you know, 100, 150 million dollars. That's not nothing at the box office at a time when it was really scary to take kids to the box office or to the movies because that's when Omnicron was really hitting. If Encanto comes out now or next month, does that movie make 200, maybe $300 million? I would argue maybe yes. And then you could add in streaming to it. I, I think there's a way that you could follow both paths here and still be profitable both ways. And I think that's the future. Yeah. Uh, last question from me, uh, Oscars, Oscars are trying to get audiences back. What are, what are they doing here? And how funny is it going to be if the Johnny Depp movie wins the people's choice award? Cause that, so, that, yeah. that's like that, that is like the funniest possible outcome for this is if Minamata movie, nobody's ever heard of wins because crazy people on Twitter love Johnny Depp. Yeah. I, I think, I think Spider-Man No Way Home is going to win that. It's going to win that going away. Um, the Oscars are at an inflection point right now, but it's not just the Oscars. It's all award shows. And I think that what we have to ask ourselves is, is there still a place for award shows in our culture uh, that is kind of as fragmented as it is? I mean, the Oscars had a historic low, but so did the Emmys. So did the Grammys. You know, the Emmys have kind of bounced back a little bit. But are we ever going to get back to 40 million people watching the Oscars? I don't know. I really don't think so. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't get an Oscars that 20 million people watch. And I think that, you know, there's some things that like, and if you ask anybody on Twitter, everyone has an opinion of how to fix the Oscars. You know, I, I read a, a tweet thread yesterday that was like, why don't we have a halftime show at the Hollywood Bowl? And I kept saying to myself, yes, let's, let's take something that hardly anyone watches now and make it longer. You know, like I, five I don't hours. know. Yeah. Five hours, five hours just, long, you know? Um, if you're going to do that, give it over to Netflix and allow them just do it the whole day then. Um, my, my take is on this that I think there, there is still a place for the Oscars. I think the Oscars, more than any award show, still matters. I think so many decisions are made in Hollywood based on what happens and who wins Oscars. I still believe that there are kids and young people out there who want to go into the movie business who still stand in front of the mirror with their hairbrush and pretend they won an Oscar. I still think it matters. But I think it also, it'll be interesting to see as more and more of these movies hit the, you know, pop culture bloodstream via streaming, um, you know, if they bring in more audiences, we'll see. Last year was a really asterisk year. It was a, it was a really off year, not just for the, not like the, who they nominated, but just in the movies in general. So I think that the Oscars, the best thing they could do right now is maybe chill out a little bit maybe not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do I think that we need as I, I, am I against, you know, having the pre-taped, you know, uh, you know, shorts or foreign language, uh, you know, something like that. 
No, I think that's fine. I, I don't think that editing should have been in there or, you know, score. I think those are kind of important to movies yeah. or production design. But I think there is a way to kind of, you know, streamline this show. I don't know if it's necessarily the length that's really killing it. If you if you look at some of the ratings for some of the longest move like longest Oscar telecasts, they were they they still brought in 40, 50 million people back in the day. I think we're just really fragmented. There's a lot of things to watch. It's not a live sporting event, which is really the only thing that's bringing in the type of numbers the Oscars wants to bring in. So I think the Oscars needs to do a very good job here of making sure that they don't destroy what the Oscars are in trying to bring in people that were never going to watch the Oscars anyway. And I think, uh, you know, that could, one way they could really fix this is by instead of having these rotating producers, hire someone to do the Oscars for five straight years, you know? Yeah. Hire somebody to come in and just do the Oscars and have them put their, you know, fingerprints on it and establish what the Oscars are because I think this kind of every year the Oscars try something new. Like this year we're going to paint it blue. Like no, I mean like keep the Oscars what the Oscars are and keep some consistency at a time when everything else in Hollywood is kind of inconsistent. And I think that could behoove the Oscars in a big way. Yeah. Uh, Frank, as you know, I like to close the show by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If you think there's anything folks need to know about the world of entertainment and the business of Hollywood. Uh, what did I what did I miss? I think we're I think the biggest thing that we didn't talk about is going forward. Um, what is streaming going to look like by the end of this year? Streaming has kind of, you know, uh, stagnated a little bit. Uh, you know, and I think it's tied really to what the content is quarter to quarter. And I think we're going to see movie theaters this year kind of, you know, have a revitalizing year. I'm hopeful. You know, I'm hopeful the pandemic is going to wind down. I'm hopeful that people want to go to the movies. And I think that it's important to kind of have a conversation with people who just two years ago was like, this thing is dead. It's never coming back. And being like, it could come back. And we it could come back because of things like variable pricing and other experiments that are going on. So I guess the thing that I want to say to the audience is, if you see on Twitter that studios are experimenting or entertainment companies are experimenting, before you send out that tweet being like, what the hell? Oh my God. I know I'm fighting a losing battle here. Take a breath and actually be like, all right, let's see how this plays out because it could play out in a way that is actually pretty beneficial to all involved. Yeah. Uh, Frank, thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. We'll see you in four or five months from now, I assume. Uh, hopefully we'll get you back on. Um, uh, I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark, uh, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Mm-hmm.